You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, and I am joined by my two charming co-hosts, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Hey, everybody. And Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. What have you guys been up to? Well, I've been attending hockey, hockey, hockey games. The Nashville Predators, for those out there that are hockey fans, are in the playoffs. And so they've had two really good games this weekend. They went in double overtime both times this weekend and won. So and these games were at home. So I was at one of them. My family was at both of them. So uh, there are other members of my family. So it's been really, really fun weekend, festive weekend here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. We've been watching lots of uh, Vegas Golden Knights hockey at our house with so much yelling. So yelling. <laughs> They're favored, aren't they, Carrie? Like, they're supposed to be really, really good, right? They may win the whole thing. They are. They're really favored, but making it through the next couple rounds is going to be huge. Like, right now, we're up 3-1 to one against Minnesota, but after this, we're going to end up having to play Colorado, and that is going to be uphill because they're one of our Achilles heels. Uh. And so... Yeah, there's there's been so much yelling in my house of no, don't do it. Like so much extra stress, which I never. I'm not a sports person. I don't know anything about sports. I came by my entrance into medical school very naturally because I could not do jack diddly squat <laughs> for anything else, and so I have been a nerd. And it's not until I met my husband and he was a huge hockey fan, and then we moved to Vegas, and then of course the team started here. So where- Where's your husband from? Like, is, is he from like up north? Like being a Texan, like hockey is not a part of like my, I mean, we're basketball, we're football, we're baseball. Like I get all that stuff, but hockey just, I mean, I think I've been to a like non-professional hockey game once. Oh, they're so much fun. Oh, I can see it being fun. They make it fun for people who don't understand hockey. I mean, I didn't ever grow up with hockey either. I mean, I, my first hockey game was seen after I was... REI in Louisville, Kentucky. It was just a, a farm team that was up there. And then, but then when I moved to Nashville, like you said, Carrie, then you just sort of get sucked into it. You know, you started mm-hmm. listening to it and watching it. And, but they make the, the games are fun, even for people who don't know much about hockey. Yeah. And, and I have to admit, Vegas is a great team to go to the games and to follow because everything here is a production. And so the <laughs> Vegas hockey team follows Vegas style. I mean, when you go down at the, the visiting end, when they're doing warmups, they have the, the Vegas girls with, you know, the tiny little bikinis on. I mean, it's, it's equivalent to a cheerleader. It's a Vegas show. <laughs> it's a cheerleader outfit, but it is Vegas style. I mean, they've got huge headdresses with these ginormous feathers with the logo on them. And they have, they, they've got the hype guy who's really good, who, you know, is constantly taking off one shirt that then reveals the next shirt that then reveals the next shirt and the next shirt, and the next shirt. Like <laughs> it is, it is truly a production. They've got the night and they've got video sequences at the beginning of everything showing his battles against the other teams. Like it is a production in true Vegas style. And so the entire city is wrapped into it because it's the only professional sport that we have had up until this year when the Raiders have come too. And the Raiders are 
Oakland's team. Like the the Knights are ours. You know, the Raiders are getting adopted as well. But but the Vegas that takes time. It takes time. It does. I'll say we don't have the Vegas showgirls, but always the big thing, the Nashville twist on hockey is who's going to sing the national anthem. Like oh. like Friday night, Keith Urban sang the national anthem. And, oh, and, wow. and when we were in the Stanley Cup like three or four years ago, there's a big hubbub because there was a guy that every single game he would sing the national anthem before the Predators game. And so he got interviewed by the paper after the first game. And he said he was very upset because Mike Fisher's wife got to sing the national anthem. And he was really angry about that. And, you know, he forgot to mention, you know, that was, you know, Carrie Underwood is Mike Fisher's wife and she, she sang the national anthem. So he, unfortunately, after that, he got fired and he never, I don't think he's sung the national anthem since then because he made a big hubbub about it that he was bumped by Mike Fisher's wife, <laughs> who was a player on the team at the time. He was actually a really good player uh-huh. at the time. And uh, so Carrie, Carrie Underwood got to sing the national anthem. So when we were in the Stanley Cup playoffs before, it was somebody, you know, some country music person every single time. And it always was kind of interesting to see who that person was going to be. They'd never announce it until the till game time. <laughs> That's fun. I can see how that would be a hot ticket. Yeah. So I don't know. We were, I was watching the game earlier and was like, yes, take them into overtime, tire them out. So that by the time they get to us, they are quiet. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. So today's episode, we are focusing on all of the questions that we have gotten in. And so there are um, a couple of these questions that are long where we have actually decided we're going to take those and, and turn them into full episodes. So I'm not going to necessarily read the entire question for those of you who have written in um, because those are are on our docket to, to incorporate into full shows coming up. But we're just going to go through them bit by bit and we'll go from there. So let me pull up my little list here. Okay. So for the first one, I'm currently undergoing my second round of medication-assisted IUI treatment, and I've had a number of people ask me if I'm taking the day off work from the day of insemination. I haven't been, but I'm wondering if it would help my chances of success if I were to do so. My job is quite stressful. From my understanding, there isn't really much I can do to increase my chances of success with the IUI, but I was wondering for your insight. Thanks for your advice. All right. So what do you guys think about taking the day off when you're going through an IUI? So I I honestly would say save your day off. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know we all worry about stress. Okay. It's terrible. We're worrying about stress. But what I generally tell my patients is that really what I consider American levels of stress, there, there really isn't a huge amount of data to support that that is really interfering all that much, okay? Other than, you know, us letting life get in the way. Now, if you have like an acute stressful event, you know, a death in the family or you lose a job or something like that, I I think that, you know, those types of events, you know, stress-wise definitely can affect pregnancy outcome and, and those types of things. But, you know, taking the day off of your IUI realistically, you know, if if you want to just have a pamper day, you know, go for it. But as somebody who went through fertility treatment and I was literally, I was traveling across the country for my fertility treatment. And I'm like, you know, every, what I looked at it was every day that I took off was a day that I was not going to have paid maternity leave. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, to me, that was a very positive way of of looking at it um, because you know, I was like this, I'm going to, you know, (laughs) just like everybody else, I'm going to make this work. Um, 
I, I would save that date unless, unless you just need a pamper day. You know, if you need a pamper day, go for it. But I don't think medically speaking, I, I think it's going to change your chances. What do you think, Abby? Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, there's data to show that when an IUI is done or when somebody has intercourse, that sperm can remain in the female reproductive tract for several days. So, you know, if this person's worried that, oh, if I go back to work and do a lot of activity, the sperm's going to fall out of me, that's probably not the case. And if it's more a concern about stress, you know, like Susan said, you know, we all have stress. And I think what I tell my patients a lot of times is, you know, what you see is stressful, I may not, and vice versa. And even if you feel a significant amount of stress, I I talked one time to my psychologist about this that sees our patients. And she said, you know, in times of great stress, and many of us were not around during World War II, but during World War II, there were bombings and people still got pregnant in England back then when they had bombings, you know, nightly raids. And, you know, in a more extreme example, which is kind of not pleasant to think about, but when women are raped, they get pregnant and that's a pretty stressful time. And so, you know, I agree with Susan. If you need a, a day just to kind of de-stress and stay at home and that makes you feel better, I think that's fine. But I, I wouldn't waste my day off either because I just don't think it's going to help very much. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. The There's all sorts of questions about how much does cortisol actually make an impact? And cortisol is the, the stress hormone. Um, taking one day off is not going to make an appreciable difference in your levels because the presumably the day before and the day after, it's going to be equally as stressful. And so what people are asking you about is really less stress and more about, you know, do you think gravity is going to work and pull that sperm right out? To which the answer is no, probably not. Um, because when, when women get pregnant, making a baby in the bedroom, they, they do whatever they want to afterwards. And sometimes that's getting up and going to the bathroom right away, which doesn't have an impact or walking around or going to sleep. And none of those things have a huge difference. And so I, I totally side with you guys, save your day, make it, make it a legit stress-free day if you're going to take it, but don't take it off on our account. Yeah. And another thing about kind of the gravity impact, also realize that, you know, probably some of the actual studies that give us the best information about this is our embryo transfer studies that, you know, we used to, I can tell you all three of us have had people who stayed on bed rest at some point during our careers, yes. at least for maybe 20, 30 minutes after embryo transfer. And, and the way anatomy actually works is that when you are standing up or sitting up ver- vertically, your uterus is actually more horizontal at that point than when you're laying down. So, you know, th- there's, you know, the whole, you need to be on bed rest because of, you know, waiting for implantation. Besides the fact for an IUI, implantation isn't happening for another five days. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gravity's not going not gonna to hurt us. And human anatomy, the way that we're built, is, is meant to protect us. So, you know, go, you know, go do something fun if you want to. But if you want to save your days off for later, you know, I don't think it's going to hurt anything. Yeah. Okay. Next question for embryo transfer is natural cycle or artificial cycle better? And does progesterone and uh, I'm thinking this means estradiol have poor effects or essentially a negative impact on health? So first half of the question, natural or artificial cycle better? So generally in our practice, we think that replacement is better because we can control more of the factors. We can control the endometrial lining better. And the data from our practice says that if we 
tell patients, you know, when to take estrogen and when to take progesterone. And we time when we do the transfer based on that, that overall we have a little bit better success rate. Now, there's not a huge difference, but there is some difference in our practice in terms of success rate. So we do recommend some sort of hormone replacement therapy. You know, we can tweak those things. You know, I've had some patients that really hate the intramuscular progesterone that we use a lot of times, and we can tweak that, change that around to vaginal progesterone rather than intramuscular if it's just something that really would prevent somebody from doing that. Um, But overall, that's what we recommend. How about you, Susan? So uh, what I personally do, I usually use program cycles with estradiol and I usually use a combination of vaginal progesterone with intramuscular progesterone once every three days um, and, and that type of thing. I don't really do natural cycles now. A number of my partners in my practice do um, Femara cycles where they stimulate the lining with Femara and trigger from, from there. And there's some good data to say that that's a very, very good preparation. It's kind of like a natural cycle, but it's kind of like a natural cycle on boosters. So, um, you know, we're, we're definitely leaving a bit less to chance. Um, I don't do a whole lot of it um, logistically. I, you know, I think both of you probably walk down the hall to your IVF labs. I drive 45 minutes to my IVF lab. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and some of my patients drive three hours from their home to my IVF lab. So having less variation, me having a little more control for timing, considering um, the geography for myself, um, tends to work a little bit better um, but yeah, I don't know many major practices that regularly do true, true natural cycle transfers. Do y'all? There's some logistical impacts on there. I mean, even though I can walk down the hall and do a transfer and the majority of my patients are locals, but you know, I still have the people driving two, three, four hours to get here. Um, there is the lab component of as well in that we try not to create extra work for them on Saturdays and Sundays because of the the manpower requirements um, and, and just having an extra person there to, to check ID and verification and all of those things, which no, it doesn't take very much, but yes, you do need to do it. And so um, we tend to do more program cycles. Occasionally we'll do the natural cycles or the, what we called modified natural, which are the, the letrozole cycles or timing with progesterone because we're control freaks. Like we want to know exactly, are you in that window of implantation? And there needs to be no question about it because those embryos are hard to get. And under no circumstances are we going to just idly toss them in. You know, I tend to see those cycles more often in patients who've maybe had a couple of children and maybe they have another embryo or two and, you know, they want to be pregnant, but they don't, they have two kids that they're dealing with and they don't have time to give all the injections. Um, Sometimes when patients are maybe not as excited about being pregnant again, but they don't want to discard their embryos, they'll do a natural cycle. And we can time the progesterone. Usually what we'll do is we'll um, have them start on progesterone. So if they have an egg that's ready based on their ultrasound, we'll have them go ahead and start on progesterone at a certain time and then trigger them 12 hours later so that their own body will kind of supplement the progesterone too. Um, One other part though that we forgot to answer, I think the listener asked about you know, is all this estrogen and progesterone bad for them? And and really it's not. I mean, the estrogen that you're getting is a lot lower strength than what you would get in a birth control pill. Um, The Prometrium that we use is a natural type progesterone. So these are all hormones that you produce. We give them to you in a little bit higher quantities, but just for a really short period of time. So I don't think there's any data to show that there's a negative impact, like a significant increase of breast cancer or something like that, um, to my knowledge anyway. 
Yeah, I always think about the medications that we're adding for a, a transfer cycle as throwing water at the ocean. Because once you get pregnant, your levels go sky high. And even when I'm supplementing with significant doses, because we do IM progesterone every day because the we think those levels are most stable. So that's- Those shots, progesterone shots, right? Yes, the progesterone shots. We do those every day because the, the levels are really stable. Um those levels are similar to what you have the entire nine months of pregnancy. And the estrogen levels that we give actually tend to be a little bit lower in these program cycles. And so it's throwing water at the ocean. That's a good point. It's going to be way higher when you get pregnant. (laughs) But also realize that pregnancy is the most dangerous thing most women (laughs) do nowadays. I mean, seriously. I I mean, that's what we're all, that's what we're all trying to get to though, Susan. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But it's, it's one of those that you have to understand. It is a means to an end. We are probably not giving you anything more than what your body would naturally be producing. And so, you know, when people think about hormones, especially estrogen, I think the big thing people worry about are things like blood clots and, and, and that type of health thing. And, and, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely to happen? No. Is it something for us to be aware of? Yes. Um, and my my favorite is, you know, when somebody goes and they they get their estrogen from the pharmacy and they get counseled at the pharmacist that this is a category X medicine that is going <laughs> to cause birth defects. And I have to sit there and be like, let me explain this to you. <laughs> uh-huh. It, you know, and, and it's it's like this is this is what we're doing, and no, we don't want people who are just you know happen to be pregnant taking estrogen. But if it's what we're doing to help you actually achieve pregnancy in a safe and controlled manner, it's okay. So, um, but I, I'm sure both of y'all have gotten that phone call. My pharmacist told me I can't take this if I'm trying yeah. to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Or letrozole. I've heard, I've heard those phone calls from letrozole too. Yeah. Yeah. I always chuckle when people say, oh, I'm not supposed to take this when I get pregnant. And (laughs) my whole job is to do this safely for you and efficiently as possible. Like, I really respect that they're reading the fine print because that is huge. However, at the same time, there's got to be a little bit of trust that I'm doing my best to get you pregnant and that there's there's been some education about this along the way. (laughs) All right. So next question is, One of your guests from Ovation Fertility talked about trying to avoid phthalates. Should we be avoiding other sources of endocrine-disrupting chemicals um, commonly found in makeup, skincare, hair care, cookware, plastic food storage, and more? So I would say probably the easiest approach to this, phthalates and and, uh, BPAs and all of those are most commonly found in plastics. And the best way to release something is to heat it up. And so if you take your lunch to work every day and you use uh, plastic Tupperware and you heat it up, then yes, you're potentially exposing yourself to more of those, you know, the phthalates, the BPAs, all of those types of things. And so it's part of the reason like we are, you know, my house uses a lot of glass Pyrex type Tupperware, you know, switch things over to a plate when I heat up my lunch in the middle of the afternoon uh, or right before I go home for dinner, which is often when I eat lunch. Um, <laughs> those, those types of things. Um, what do you guys think? I, I think those are kind of good, easy things to do. Um, another thing I see people do that can actually increase that exposure is, um, water bottles. Uh, you, those plastic water bottles, the really cheap ones that we get all of our bottled water out of, 
um, those are not like they're safe for you to drink that one thing of water. But when you refill that, um, that actually encourages those icky chemicals to leach out. So if you need a water bottle, go buy a glass or something that's meant to be reusable because the those single use things, when you do reuse them, that's when you're probably actually getting a lot more exposure than what you really should be. Yeah. And I mean, studies show in animals anyway, that they can be endocrine disruptors and so kind of affect the development of the egg and things like that. So you know, nobody, no humans want to sign up for that kind of study. So we don't really know for sure what goes on in humans. But yeah, I would just echo what, what Carrie and Susan have both said that that avoid those types of things. And I'm really guilty too. And I have to every now and then catch myself. You know, we, we are a family that go to lots of different sporting events and we get lots of different cups from all those sporting events. And just you know, just you tend to hang on to plastics a lot, you know, and, and really everything, you, you touch a lot of plastic during a day. I, I, somebody that wrote a book recently mentioned that she was trying her best not to touch anything plastic in the whole day and you just can't do it. Like, you know, seats on your toilet are made of plastic. I mean, lots of things that you touch are made of plastic and it's really hard to avoid everything, but just old plastics like old cups, old Tupperware, just go through and get rid of some of that stuff. Because, you know, if you've had it around and you've used it for a while, you just worry that just with, you know, with all the things that you do, mixing and stirring and scraping, you can just get those, those can leach into your food. So, um, and I would agree with Susan, I'm guilty of using plastic water bottles all the time and I need to probably stop doing that. All right. So next question. So, this um, this listener says, question from a husband who probably invests too much time into infertility research. Um, my wife was recently prescribed birth control in the middle of her cycle because of an upcoming surgery to look for endometriosis due to multiple unexplained miscarriages. Parentheses, we know it's a long shot. I understand that my wife can't be pregnant during such a procedure, but it seems odd to me to alter her cycle at this stage of the menstrual cycle. Why not just wait toward the end of her cycle and give meds to ensure menstruation? Then just start the treatment meds when she's in a follicular phase. Seems to me it'd be most optimal to pair fertility treatment in sync with her body's natural menstrual cycle, particularly when there's been success with follicular growth, lining, et cetera, in prior cycles. So what do you guys, what do you guys think about this one? So it's not how I would normally practice. Um, I am fortunate that I have block time in the operating room. And generally what I would say is wait till your next menstrual cycle. If we're having issues mm-hmm. with scheduling, we'll get you started on the birth control pill at the beginning of the cycle and we'll get you in from there. Um, you, you know, I, I know that there are some, um, some people who may not do that for, for various reasons. Um, if you start in the middle of the cycle, you know, the, the biggest things you're worried about are ovulation potentially happening. So obviously avoid unprotected intercourse. And um, you're more likely to get dysfunctional bleeding after starting a birth control pill mid-cycle than if you started it at in the early follicular phase. Um, I, I think this may be perhaps a situation where wherever they're operating are like, they have to be on birth control pills or something like this to be preventing pregnancy. And, and there's certain like outpatient clinics that I've seen before that have had rules like that. And I imagine that is probably the, the method behind their thinking. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't do it that way either. I, I, I 
kind of like the patient's husband, I would do it with her cycle. I just wonder if something's lost in translation there. Like, I wonder if this patient maybe has PCOS and has irregular cycles and maybe they're starting in time, you know, if you if you have PCOS and you're not cycling normally, it kind of doesn't really matter when you start the pills. Um, so I wonder if that's maybe the situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it that way, but I, I probably wouldn't do that either because I would worry about um, dysfunctional bleeding. But, you know, unlike other surgeons, we have literally a week in the menstrual cycle that we can operate and that's it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so people get really upset if, you know, they have to wait, you know, a cycle or two. So we're always trying to get people in as quickly as we can. And um, and that may be why they did it. So I would answer this from the perspective of someone who operates at kind of crazy times in the sense that I don't have a set block time set aside in in the OR. And so when I'm when I'm working with patients to get them in the OR, as soon as we know that we're going to make the decision to to do surgery, I tend to start them on birth control pills because that means I can operate without fear of pregnancy usually relatively quickly. Now, middle of the cycle can mean a couple different things. You know, it's one thing if it's seven days into the cycle, it's another if it's 14, it's another if it's 21. Um, and so I think I think it kind of depends on what the surgery is. And I think it depends really on a lot of the local setup because I know that for patients where I, I am absolutely certain that someone's not pregnant, I will start them in, in the middle of their cycle because that's going to allow me to do the surgery faster without screwing around with OR scheduling nearly as much. Um, Typically, if we're talking about treatment, then yes, it's a little bit easier to start it in sync with their natural menstrual cycle. But I I agree. I'm, I'm wondering if there's something behind the scenes that we don't necessarily know about here, because I could see a, a couple of potential reasons why this is logical and makes sense for for this particular fertility center. This is definitely one of those like call and ask your doctor. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I think all of us agree that it does sound a little, a little bit odd, but we, we really feel like there's like one important piece of the, the puzzle that, that we may not have awareness of. And your physician would probably be able to tell you like, and connect the dots. Yeah. The one other time too, I was just thinking that we might start birth control pills just randomly, even. So if a woman was cycling normally and she came in to see us and we saw a big cyst on the ovary right around the time of the menstrual cycle, sometimes I'll start women on birth control pills then, not necessarily to get her into surgery, but just to kind of keep her hormones from kind of keeping the cyst going. It won't necessarily make the cyst get smaller, but it'll just keep the hormones from making the cyst potentially bigger. So that would be another reason that I would start birth control pills just out of sync with the normal menstrual cycle. But that's the only other time I can think of when I would do that. Mm -hmm. Or there may be a reason to bring on a menstrual cycle at a specific time. Like if they know that they're going to do surgery on X date, then they time. All right, come off the, come off the cycle or come off the pill, get your cycle, and then they can time it for what they're looking for better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question. Since I spend most of my RE appointments naked from the waist down, I try to make sure that my pubic area is at least somewhat gripped. <laughs> but sometimes life gets crazy and I run out of time. So do you ever judge patients for the lack of personal grooming? This is a great question that we actually get all the time. We we do get it all the time. And I, I think that probably the most important thing to know is there is no normal and we right. don't expect anything, okay? We we see everything from nada <laughs> to 
El Natural. Lada. Lada to Lada. Lada to Lada. Exactly. And, you know, whether you shave, you wax, you don't shave, you don't wax. I mean, like we have patients who, you know, although we're in the United States, there are people who, women who don't shave their legs. You know, there's, we, we see everything. We see tattoos, we see scars, we, you know, see, like I said, we see it all. And it, this is what we do. It, It doesn't bother us, you know. Yeah. I mean, we do so many gynecologic exams a day. I don't even, you know, if you ask me after I walk out of the room, I wouldn't even, it just doesn't even register because I don't think about that. I'm just focused on, I need to look at her cervix. I need to like make sure her health is good. I need to check her uterus. I don't think about personal grooming generally. And, you know, you actually said it the best, Susan, is there really is no normal. What you think is normal may not be normal for somebody else. So we, we see, different races, different religions, different cultures. And culturally, there can be a big difference in what's normal and what's not, or what you think is normal. Yeah, I think I agree with everything that you guys have said. It really doesn't matter. Um, we do appreciate if you have bathed within the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very much appreciated. That is the grooming that we care about. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to necessarily be that morning. Um, you know, people, uh, Americans bathe really an awful lot, particularly when you compare to other areas of the world. And, and so that I think is probably what more of us pay attention to, um, or that we're going to be caught unawares by, but whether you have hair or don't, whether you have a piercing or multiple or none tattoos, multiple or none, we, we don't notice. And, and we can be, you know, finishing the conversation, like you would have just sat up and, and if someone would ask us, all right, what does this woman's general area look like? We may, very well may have absolutely zero idea unless there's pathology <laughs> involved because yeah. that's what sticks in our brain. Of, mm-hmm. Is this healthy, not healthy? Is there anything I need to do? And if I need to do it, what do I need to get this woman to take better care of it? The rest of it is just window dressing. Doesn't matter. We don't care. We don't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Very, very true. All right. So excellent list of questions. That was fun. I like doing a question day. That was kind of fun. We need to do more of those. I really like those question days. That's that's pretty fabulous. Well, the nice thing is we're we're getting more questions in. And so that's that's the we can have more question days when we get lots of questions in. And so that's why we wanted to kind of knock some of these out so that our listeners are, are getting the responses that they're hoping from us. All right. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe, leave us a a review in iTunes. We would love to hear from you. You can also visit us at fertility.sensor.com to schedule an appointment with any of us or to submit specific questions. I can't talk. The more embarrassing, the better. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.